Mac Power Users, episode 703, The Portable HomePod Mini Lifestyle. Hello, everyone. I am David Sparks, and I'm joined by my friend and yours, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen. Hey, David. How are you? I am excellent, and we are the Mac Power Users, and it's time for a feedback episode. One of my very favorite kinds of episodes we do here on the old Mac Power Users, where we've got a bucket full of feedback from listeners. We've got some small topics to check in on. We got a full outline today, buddy. We do. We got a we got a bunch of stuff. And in more power users, which is the ad-free longer version of the show, we do one each and every week. I wanted to check in on your uh UFI update because you've got a bunch of those cameras and hardware floating around your house and i want to see how that was going i have a whole eufy situation right you know last yeah. year some things went poorly with eufy and i need to update well we'll do that we'll do that and uh and home security in general and and that is by the way more power users is the uh, subscription version of our show where you get an ad-free um version of the show with additional content every week we'd love to have you join that you can learn about that at relay.fm slash MPU. But uh it's it is feedback time and we are right now in the end of July as the show drops. So we've been in the betas now for a couple months and I thought it'd be fun to kick out things off just kind of talking about how things are going with the betas. Yeah, since last time we checked in, I think I've jumped fully in except on my MacBook Pro that's running Ventura, but I'm running it on the phone, the iPad, the Apple Watch. And my like hit feature so far is the cycling workout improvements. And this is something that is like half watch OS, half iOS on the phone. Yeah. So every year or two, they like focus on a workout section. So years ago it was swimming. And then they did like a big running update. And this year it is cycling. And so if you start a cycling workout on your Apple Watch and Watch OS 10, you get a, a, a live activity on your phone. And if you open it, you get this, basically it turns your phone into a cycling computer. And so if you have your phone mounted where you can see it when you ride, which I do on two of my bikes, you get speed, distance, and other metrics like your rings, your uh, split times, if you have that, uh, on your phone. So you don't have to lift your wrist and take your hands off the handlebars to see what you're doing. It's nice, big. A lot of people ride with bike computers, so it kind of fits right into that. And it looks great. And I kind of want it for all workout types. Like if I'm lifting weights or doing the rowing machine or going for a walk, I would love for my phone to be like a big dashboard for what's happening on my watch but they've just done it with cycling so far i've got one screenshot in the show notes so people can check it out if you haven't seen it but it it's pretty cool i'm I'm very impressed yeah so i didn't understand this at the keynote because i was like wait a second they already do cycling as an activity so they've turned the iphone into a cycling computer in yeah. essence yeah yeah and it's you know, it's using the data from the watch. As far as I can tell, all the data is collected the same way. It's just giving you much better visibility into what's happening. So the screenshot I took is when I got home. And so it has the maximum speed and the distance I rode, the time that I rode, 
And then I I did this screenshot in particular for the show notes because it, sh- it shows how big the buttons are. You can very like easily hit them. So this one has lock controls, which just means if you touch the screen, nothing happens until you unlock controls. I think they do that. So if you are like dripping sweat, your phone's not going bananas. And then stop viewing, which just kills the screen and takes you back to the lock screen. And then end workout, all very easy to use. And I I really, really like it. Yeah. How do you mount your phone on your bike? I mean, that I think would be of concern to some people. Yeah. Especially if you've, you know, crashed a couple of bikes over the years. Yeah. I, I wasn't going to say it, but you brought it up. No, it's does, cool. yeah. Does this make it less likely that you'll crash? It means that my phone is definitely going to die. Uh, I use okay. the <laughs> I use the Peak Design system, so they have a couple of different mounts, and then they have an iPhone case. So I put my phone in that case when I'm going to ride. It is a magnetic and a mechanical lock, so you get a little bit of of both. It's very secure, and they even sell just the mounts. So I wrote about this on 512 a while back where I took a uh like a Amazon brand smart cover for an iPad mini, cut the front of it off and stick the adapter on the back so on my stationary bike in my garage I can mount an iPad mini and watch something when I'm riding. So it's ver- it's a very flexible system and I'm I'm a big fan. There is, and I'm trying to madly look it up, yet Nomad and Peak Design joined forces, and Nomad made a rugged case with the Peak Design physical connector on it. Are you aware of this? No, that's cool. Yeah, I think that might help save your phone if you crash, so you're going to want to check that out. But it's a a collaboration. I just saw a press release on it like a couple months ago, but uh, the way it works is... uh, and I'll get a link for the uh, show notes, but it's a rugged case, more rugged than the Peak Design case. Yeah. But it also has the embedded magnet and that that little square physical connector. I think the Peak Design case is, is a really good idea. I use one kind of as my daily driver on my phone, and I uh, I like it. Uh, although I don't you know plug it into things that often. Mm-hmm. I don't have a need of it. I just kind of like the texture of it and the feel of the case, too. I've been toying with the idea of getting one of those combined phone case wallets. You know, yeah. they've uh, like the, was it the one that makes the one looks like a little book or something? I think that's kind of cool. I've never had one before, but yeah, you know, we're almost in September and y'all know what's going to happen in September. So yeah, now, now's not the time to go right buy a new iPhone case. Um, yeah. I, it's funny. I do use the peak design mobile wallet. So they have a couple of different ones. One has like a kickstand built in. I don't use that. This is just like a little, backpack pouch for your phone and attaches magnets so you don't have to use the uh you don't have to use the fancy peak design case if you don't if you don't want to it it just works with magsafe but yeah uh, and it has a flap has a little magnetic mm-hmm. flap so you don't have to worry about your stuff falling out of it yeah exactly yeah i'm with you peak design is good stuff but that that's cool so you get it you get it mounted on there and then you've got your bike computer then i got my bike i was like how did we get onto this yes that's that's yeah. how we got onto it. Yeah. And we got on this through the betas because we were talking about the betas, you know. Yeah. yeah Welcome to Mac Power Users. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I feel like uh, something I want to talk about in the betas, uh, and we're going to do a full show on these releases when they come out. Well, we're, we're both building lists. But something that I think is worth checking in on is, I believe, the 
probably the biggest improvement this year is the watch. I, I just really feel like they're getting closer to the bullseye with the way the watch works now. And what they did was they rerouted some of the buttons. Now, historically, you know, you would hit the big button on the side to get to a list of your apps or your, I think they called it a dock where you could have your favorite apps. And now the big button on the side opens up the control center and you don't do the swipe from the bottom thing anymore. And then the crown, which it used to be, if you rotated the crown, a variety of things could happen depending on which watch face you were on. But now it just opens up kind of a, a scrolling list of dock items. Plus it has a nice clear presentation of today's date and time. And then it gives you what it thinks you need to see. It's like, I think, a new iteration of the old Siri face in that regard, where it's like, oh, he has an appointment coming. Let's tell him about his appointment. He's got a timer running. Let's tell him what the time is. So uh, that kind of stuff. And I just, uh, you know, I I heard some people being negative towards this because they liked the old button layout. Yeah. Like, I want my buttons back. But Uh, I'm in that camp, actually. Okay, (laughs) well, I want to hear why you say that. But I personally really think this solves the problems that I had with the phone. Like I always complain about the faces. Well, now I can use any face I want. I'm one scroll away from, from further details. So I, I, I feel like they're closer to the mark here. You tell me why I'm wrong. I, I just, I really liked the dock. I liked that I could have applications of my choosing easily accessible without having to deal with the long list of apps or them being, somehow recently running and this is not the first time they've rearranged watch os like they just do it every four years or something that's change up the the, the ui well, paradigm I think, I think for a reason i feel like they feel like they haven't got it right yet yeah and i just i just don't know if control center like deserves the hardware button but i've adjusted right it's not that i want to go back to watch os 9 but i i did like the dock now it is the dock the dock is still there if you double tap like if you double tap the crown you get the dock or you get some recent apps it's a little confusing to me actually what you see in there because all the dock settings are gone from the companion iphone app so i think that's like recent apps or something it's a bit it's a bit confusing but i i I see why they did it i guess it's just i kind of like the dock i was a big fan of that all right. Well, I, I think we're going to have to to have a serious discussion about this when the when this thing gets released. And I'm going to look at it. I'm going to try and consider your your position here. But uh, I I feel like for a lot of people, they didn't even realize that the control center was there, or yeah. they would accidentally activate it and not sure what just happened. You know, because it's a it was a hidden gesture. You know, you had to swipe up from the bottom. Um, so I I like the the uh, the affirmative nature of, of pushing the button but also i have an extra button on my watch so sure uh, in fact we're, we uh, we've got feedback on that later we can talk about that but so that's interesting so i think the watch is one of the better things and that you're not sure i mean I, I love all the the design stuff like the buttons aside i love the new full screen color use especially like in the activity app. i think that's the nicest where if you're on the stand ring, you know, it's blue. And if you're on the workout ring screen, it's green. And yeah. calendar events can take over, like, the color of the background, depending on what calendar they're on. That's just all really nice looking. And I hope that developers get on board with that. 
and I also like the widget system. Uh, so the, my my sadness over the dock, you know, it it balances out with the rest of. It. I think the rest of it's all really good. Yeah, and I really like this. Really feels like it opens up the possibility of using non information dense watch faces because yep. before it always felt like no matter how you really felt about the watch face, you had to use the one that had all the gizmos on it because it's just too, it was too unsure about how to get the information you needed. It's always felt like a little bit of a crapshoot. Like, okay, if I go to the dock, is it going to have what I need? Even though I've said to have this thing there, right? Um, I find the new version where you just scroll the wheel to be better. And the AI is working better. It's giving me the stuff. I've yet to want a piece of information and not receive it by scrolling the wheel. And I've been using this thing since beta one. So that's, that's kind of my take on it, but I want to think about this more before it releases. We'll talk more about that. Um, one other thing in the betas that I think I'd like to give us some feedback is nightstand is more than a gimmick. When I saw it at the keynote, I'm like, Oh, that's silly. And now that I've been using it, I love it. I, I you know, so nightstand is the feature where you put your phone on, uh, a puck and you you know twist it to the left or right so it's it's um in what we'd call horizontal or a port you no know, landscape view and it it re recombobulates itself into like a a little information display you can have a a clock you can have the the date calendar items reminder tasks and when this thing goes public the uh, third party apps will be able to plug in it at least that's my understanding so you can really kind of customize a little you know, information display on your your phone when you put it into a magnetic uh, vertical stand. I'm also really enjoying that. And my phone is kind of off at the corner of my desk. So I like that everything is really big. Like it's clearly designed for you to glance at it from across the room. I'm digging it. Yeah. And at nighttime, it turns red. So it doesn't light up the room. And it, it, if you set it right, it, it's motion aware. So it actually makes your screen dark until you start moving around. Mm-hmm. And then it lights up with the, uh, with the time. I, I just, I like this and uh, it, it uh, exceeded expectations, I would say, as we get through the beta. But uh, a bigger question I have for you as we're going through this beta period, you and I are talking about stuff we like. And so far we've talked about a couple buttons on a watch and a thing you do when you put your phone in the stand. Which makes me wonder, is this a snow leopard year? Is it too early to tell? No, I don't think it is. I mean, there's tons of new features everywhere. Yeah. Uh, in particular on the on the watch, but even like things like iMessage and the iPad got a bunch of stuff. So yeah, I don't think it is. Uh, this feels like a, even on the Mac, right, which is admittedly a little bit slower. Yeah. Um, Things like widgets on the dashboard or which on the dashboard, which is on the desktop and those sorts of things. Like this feels like a pretty, a pretty solid year. I don't think this is a, a year where they're standing back and just, you know, fixing things. They're, they're definitely still adding features. But I would say that they are definitely fixing things like shortcuts run so much faster for me this year. So I feel like there are areas where they've done a lot of under the hood work. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, like for instance, I'm always super eager to get it installed on my production machine to mm-hmm. Steven's chagrin, right? But I don't feel like a burning desire to do it this year. The widgets on the desktop are cool, and there's a couple of nice features. But like, I usually, I usually, I'm much itchier at this point in the process hmm. 
to get it to get it installed on my main machine, but I don't feel as much that way this year. Maybe it's just the improvements to the Mac aren't that extensive, but either way, uh, interesting beta year, and uh, Apple is continuing to move the ball forward. Uh, it, it is kind of surprising when you think about it that they really got anything done, given that they built Vision OS, an entirely new platform for an entirely new device using an entirely different user interface paradigm mm-hmm. at the same time. Because <laughs> you know they had to have a lot of people working on that. Yeah, if they had just stopped WWDC, like after Vision OS, be like, yeah, that's a pretty solid year. Like, I got a bunch done. Uh, but of course, we got we got so much more. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Text expansion is one of the most no-brainer automations you can do on your Mac. Apple's got some basic tools built in, but Text Expander takes it to an entirely new level. Text Expander, which started on the Mac, takes full advantage of the automation stack on your Mac. For instance, one of my favorite Text Expander snippets includes the contents of my clipboard. That's right, you can just copy something to the clipboard and then use it in a Text Expander snippet. You can also do things like add special characters or tab keys or the return key. You can enter today's date or the date three days from now. One of my favorite tricks is you can use an Apple script to call up information and insert it as a snippet. If you spend any time typing and you learn Text Expander, you'll realize it's a game changer. But the good news is it doesn't just work on the Mac anymore. It extends to Windows, to iOS, and Chrome. And moreover, it's much more than a tool for personal automation now because you can get a team version and you can create snippets and everybody else in your team gets access to them as well. So whether you're a big multinational corporation or just a person working on your own and trying to be more efficient, Text Expander can help you. If you want to be a Mac Power user, one of the ways you can really help yourself is get smart with your keyboard and Text Expander is the answer for that. So go check it out at textexpander.com MPU. If you go to that link, you get 20% off your first year and show your support for the show. That link one more time is textexpander.com slash MPU. So just give Text Expander a try and see how fast you can get with your Mac. Let's get into some Safari extension feedback. So this was a, a recent episode, and uh, I'll put a link to the forum post because there's a lot more in the forum post than I think we're going to get to today. But some really excellent extensions were suggested by listeners and members of the forum. Uh, I want to start with one that I've actually have come across in the past. I'm not using it currently, but I, I re-downloaded it after uh, after seeing it again. And it's called Mark Download. So this is a, a web clipper type extension, right, where it can pull data off the web and download them into a file on your computer. And it does this by basically taking the text and the content of the page and putting into a markdown document. So if you have an article that you you want markdown out of for some reason, you can uh, check this out. It's three bucks and it works pretty well. Any extension that's like a crawler like this, where it's getting content out of a web page, including the built-in thing and in shortcuts 
it's always going to be a little hit or miss because web page, like markup on the web is bananas and people do all sorts of terrible things. But uh, it does a pretty good job. And if this is if this kind of fits your needs, if you want to archive something or save something for later, this is a new, or not new, but it's an interesting way of doing it. Yeah, like if you do a lot of research uh, and you want to work in Markdown, this is, you know, three bucks. Just buy it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I should have mentioned it on the show, but uh, I'm glad that, that it came up in the forums because this is a good one. Yeah. Uh, another one that came up, or really like two that are kind of related, are Keepa and the Camelizer. Uh, these are two that help you track prices over time. The Camelizer in particular uh, pulls data from camel, camel, camel.com, which if you're not familiar with, you can like plug in URLs to things on Amazon and uh, it will notify you when those things go on sale or to have a discount. So for instance, I, I used camel, camel, camel a few years ago when I bought my 4k TV. It's like, okay, it's going into the holidays. This thing is going to drop and yeah. told camel, camel about it. And then I get a notification. So this, uh, this is an extension that kind of puts that into Safari and Keepa is another kind of take on it. Uh, Keepa best I can tell is not tied to, Camel, 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 and it works on more Amazon sites than Camel, Camel, Camel. Um, this works with a service called Keepa, K-E-E-P-A.com. So they do similar things. You may find that one works better for you depending on where you live, but uh, they're sort of uh, sibling extensions, if you will, kind of going after the same thing. Yeah, we've talked about Camel, Camel, Camel on MPU many times over the years, but I was not aware of Keepa. So I've installed that one. I'm going to be looking at both of them and I'll report back. But, you know, this isn't necessarily rocket science, right? It's just tracking price over time. But it is a good way. If there's something you want to buy that's significant, you know, just check it out. I mean, one of the best bits of data you get from this is historical data, too. So if you see a product and it hasn't been on sale for over a year, you know, well, uh, this one may not be on sale very often. Uh, whereas some of them you see they go on sale every month and then you just wait. It's all about the cookie, right? How many? How long can you wait to eat the cookie? <laughs> That's right. That's right. If you are a Mastodon user, you have probably come across the issue where you find a link or come across a link for something, but it opens on an instance or a server that maybe you weren't expecting. So if someone's on mastodon.social the big main one is not an issue but if you're like me and run one just for yourself then sometimes those urls can be a bit messy and homecoming for mastodon is a safari extension that basically just adds a button to the toolbar and it will open a page from another instance in your own um not only does it make the urls nicer if you want to link to something but also means that it's a lot easier to follow that account this is just one of the things with Mastodon because it's, it's decentralized. It's not as easy as, you know, Twitter or threads or whatever to tap someone's name and instantly follow them. You kind of have to jump through some hoops. And, you know, I think that's ultimately a downfall of what otherwise I think is a pretty good system of decentralization. But this makes it uh, a lot easier to manage that and it makes it less confusing, I think. One of the the apps that we got written about is 
I, I love the name consent omatic. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. And you know, this shows our American focus sometimes, right? You don't notice, but you know, GDPR is a real thing. A lot of people back when I was a lawyer, we spent a lot of money trying to get GDPR compliance for people. And most of the stuff is focused at people, you know, over in the European Union. But apparently it's a big pain in the neck sometimes when you're on the web and you got to fill out GDPR consent forms at every website you go to. Um, Consentomatic is an app that does that for you. And I love that. And I suspect that we're going to need it in America before you know it. So uh, this is a growth industry for uh, uh, auto filling out uh, permission forms when you access the web. Yeah, we got several of these. Consentomatic, uh, I pick because the name was the best. Uh, it really is good. Yeah. And they have like tackled almost 700 different pop-ups. And uh, it's rated really well. Uh, yeah, this is just part of uh, the internet and a, a large part of the world, for, for better or for worse. I wanted to address something uh, we spoke about in that episode when we were talking about content blockers. I think we mentioned ghostery, but without mentioning sort of the drama around ghostery, I just wanted to very quickly touch on it. I'm going to have a link in the show notes if you want to read more about it. But uh, one of the ways that ghostery makes money for its parent company is a feature called ghost rank. And it is opt in. So that's important to know. Uh, You are opting into this. But what it does is the data, it's anonymized, but data that it collects about what ads are blocked, that data gets sold to advertising networks. Do with that what you will. I don't use Ghostery. Uh, If I did, I don't think I would opt in to GhostRank. But some people were concerned about it, and so I just wanted to to point it out that it is opt-in. It's not a big deal if you don't use it, but that is one part of their business model. The relationship between advertising and the web is something that's always difficult to, to, to grapple with. Like, you know, there's a now a thing going on where people are asking themselves, well, how can we gain these artificial intelligence, large language models as an advertising tool? Like when you search, you know, about, you know, the best, if you ask GDPR, I'm sorry, not GDPR. If you ask <laughs> Chat GPT, well, yes. I'm getting confused today. If you ask Chat GPT, what's you know the best way to give myself a shave? And it says, well, you should use Gillette razors, you know, kind of thing. Right. All of a sudden somebody's got into the LLM and convinced it that, you know, it should be pushing someone's products. That's actually a thing that advertisers are looking into. And I was talking to a friend about it, and I said, the thing I hate about it is that it's secret. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm okay with ads where I know that I'm being advertised to. That's the way a lot of stuff is paid for. And I get it. And, but the thing that bothers me is the secret bits. And, and I, I just think with all of these, um, trackers, like, like I appreciate that Ghostry makes it opt in, but I, I do wish that it was a little more clear what's going on, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think it's a bad product. You know, I mean. And, uh, and I do appreciate people letting us know their concerns and we want to share them with everybody. So there's no, you know, again, nothing secret here. It's just, but, but it it is a difficult thing, you know, when you want stuff made, but 
you, you got to pay for it somehow. Yep. Right? Yeah. Including this very podcast. Yeah, exactly. But we're not creepy about it, you know? And that that's one thing I... Re- we're just tangent city today. That's one yeah. thing I really like about the our business model, right? Like I own Relay FM. The, the business yeah. model that we use is advertising plus membership. So if you don't want ads on select shows, you can pay five bucks a month or 50 a year and, and not get it, not get those ads. But if you don't do that and you get you're, you're, you can listen to our shows for free for the next, you know, 150 years, however long we do this. But yeah. if we're still doing it in 150 years, I'll be impressed. Yeah. But the beauty of the podcasting ecosystem that we exist in is I don't know anything about you. Like the only, the only I'm doing big air quotes tracking we can even do is rough location based on IP address when you download a show. And if you listen to Apple podcast, we have some more metrics about you that Apple provides for a lot of our shows. Apple podcast is not the biggest podcast player. So we don't look at those directly. And even all that, that data is anonymized. That data is like, how many people listen to the whole episode? If they don't, when did they drop off, right? Is that sort of information. Yeah. It is not information about your browsing history and what you looked at Facebook Marketplace and what you purchased on Amazon. Like, it's so different from web advertising. And there are people who want podcast advertising to be more like that. And that is a grave mistake. And I think is like an existential crisis <laughs> to the way we do podcasting. But that's a topic for a different day. But it for me, uh, it also works with like advertising on uh, Max Barkey uh, and on Six Colors and Daring Fireball and Five Full Pixels, right? Like we're selling them directly. I'm not doing things like tracking pixels. You aren't either, right? It's just like this is some text and an image and you can skip over it really easily. Like we're not interested in the data collection side of it. And to me, that's the that's the difference. And that's where things go from hey, we're making a thing and we got to pay for it and this is how we do it and we're upfront about it versus we're following you around the web forever because we've set a cookie on your disk. And those are just, those could not be more different. All right, let's talk about some listener feedback. Sounds good. Steven wrote in, he wants me to give an update on my EV. Uh, yes, not me, Steven, another Steven. Yeah, another Steven. <laughs> Although I am curious as well. Yeah, I love it. I mean, there's there's not much to complain about. It's great. Uh, our car has a 300-mile uh, range. A lot of people ask me about range anxiety, and I, I don't really understand that because I feel like range anxiety comes with a gas car too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, you could run out of gas. I guess the, the argument is, well, gas stations are everywhere and charging stations aren't, but... Um, we have now in the car, we have 8,000 miles on the car. I think we've owned it about five months and my wife drives it way more than me, but she takes it back and forth to work every day. California has, um, special lanes for carpools, but at least at this point, if you own an electric vehicle, you get a, a special sticker that lets you go in that lane without having someone else in the car. And so she loves that because she gets to work and home faster. Uh, so that's great. I, I, um, I haven't been to a gas station except when my kids visit (laughs) for, uh, for, uh, five months. I, uh, we have yet to plug into a public charger. And so I think one of the mistakes people make about electric cars when you buy is you get super worried about 
charging stations and will there be enough? And if your commute is less than half of your range, uh, you're fine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our range is 300 miles. We end up charging about once a week and we do it. We put a thing in the garage and uh, my table saw plug also can now uh, charge the car, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and it charges overnight and it's great. We have it run in the middle of the night. So the electricity is cheap. I can't even really tell a difference in the electricity bill. It's gone up a bit because it's got hot. So we're using the AC more, but it doesn't really seem to me like it was like a massive change in our, in our electricity bill. So that's been great. Not paying gas is great, you know, uh, at least with California taxes and whatnot. It seems yeah. like the old car. I'm always shocked when I'm in California and I go past the gas station. It's like, holy smokes. Yeah. Like right now it's around $5 here. Ooh. I don't know how much it is where you are. Uh, like probably, I haven't filled up in a while, but I think it's like between three, around $3 a gallon, I think probably. Yeah. Yeah. So we're paying a lot more, but so it's like $60 every time you go fill up a tank, yeah. you know? And, uh, so that's a lot of money and uh, we don't do that anymore. And I, I love the pickup of it. Like if you've never driven an electric car, we did not get the, the hot rod version. You know, ours is a Kia EV six. I guess I should have said that, yeah. but you did not get the GT, which is the the fast one. Yeah. We got the GT line, which is the, the, the slower one. And ours only has rear wheel drive. It doesn't have front wheel drive. So we only have motors driving the back two wheels. If you get the one with the four wheels, it it's the acceleration is double what it mm-hmm. is with ours. That being said, it is fast. <laughs> I mean, my but my old car was a hybrid. I had a Ford hybrid before and it never had a lot of acceleration. But this car, like if you're on the freeway and somebody looks like they're going to like sway into your lane or something and you just punch it, you just blast past them and it's great. And I haven't had that for a long time. Uh, the computery bits are really great. I intentionally chose uh, a lot of people ask, well, why didn't you get a Tesla? Well, you know um, it's uh, I want a car with CarPlay in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, and this isn't just because I, uh, I pay for my shoes talking about this stuff, but I like CarPlay. I like having my stuff. I don't want to have to, you know, the infotainment system is important to me in my car. I want to listen to my podcasts. You know, I want to, I want to have my playlists. I want my maps and my contacts. And it's just my friends that have non-car play cars that, which is currently Tesla and Rivian. Uh, it just seems to me like a big hassle to have to deal with that. And I also don't really care for the dash cluster um, on the right side. And yeah. And I know I don't want Tesla people don't write me. I, you have a great car. I agree. Don't it's cool. You know, I'm not trying to, but I, I prefer it to be under my vision. And one of the nice things about the technical bits on the Kia is that the, um, it has a really uh, sophisticated heads up display. So, um, as I'm looking down the road, I have all the information I need to, you know, make decisions without taking my eye off the road. So that and the car play, but you know, electric cars, yeah, I I knew I would like it. Syracuse told me that it was like going from a spinning drive to an SSD. Mm-hmm. And he's right. It just, everything is easier. And um, I love charging it in a, you know, at the house. So we don't have to go to the gas station. I love the acceleration. And um, I guess I'm repeating myself, but the, the, all the stuff I was worried about didn't come true. Like uh, range anxiety, 
you know, all, you know, er- everything you hear about, like, oh, don't get an electric car because you have this problem or that problem. I think it's fine. The one thing I would say is that if you live, uh, if you don't live in your own home and you don't have the ability to charge it at your home, that is where I would be hesitant to get an electric car. Yeah. Same. Because for us, the huge advantage is, you know, the garage is my garage. And I'm trying <laughs> right. to get my I'm trying to get my wife to call it the shop, so I should not say garage mm, yes. publicly. But the shop is mine, and I've got the plug in there, and I can charge the car. If you live in a place where you don't have control of that and you can't charge it at night, then you do have to deal regularly with these, um, you know, going to a charging station. And, and I guess that's not the end of the world, but it, it's a way more convenient when you can charge it yourself. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, my car in particular, I don't see very many of them. I think the key is a smaller brand. But it also just kind of looks like a car, and I like that about it. So it's not like a thing. Yeah, it's not a Cybertruck. Uh, yeah, there's one I see in my part of town now that's in a silver color. It's like not. Yeah. It's like not real dark, and it's it's nice looking. Same spec as yours. Um, yeah, I think they're I think they're super cool. Well, I'm glad it's going well, and I'm glad you made the made the move. Yeah, we're we're happy with it. It you know it's it's more expensive at this point. I think in a few years, if our old car had just lasted like another two or three years, I feel like we could have got maybe a better car cheaper. But yeah, you know it's still kind of new. Well, well like John said, right? It's like going to an SSD for a while. That was more ex- like awesome, but way yeah. more expensive. And then prices yeah. have come down, and now you can get a you know a pretty decent sized SSD for not wild amounts of money. Yeah. But uh, I don't see myself ever going back to a gasoline car. It's it's just great, you know. Tim writes in, not sure if this has been answered before or if this is the appropriate place to ask, but in episode 692, the more power users David mentioned playing the new Star Wars game, and I would like to know, what is your preferred, preferred platform to play, David? Do you have a PlayStation or Xbox or something else? Thanks for your time. Love the show. All right. I, I don't talk video games very much on Mac Power Users, so I thought, why not? Um, uh, I am terrible at video games. I just <laughs> want to kind of say that up front. And I don't play them often, but I do like them, and I think they're fun. I, I was a kid when the very first games came out, so I kind of grew up with them. Sure. Um, one, one of my favorite reasons to play video games is that all of the young men in my family play them, and I find that when I talk to especially teenagers while playing a video game that they tell me everything. This is a secret for you guys that have kids, especially boys. If you want them to tell you about their girlfriends or what they're worried about, uh, don't sit down and look them in the eye, sit in front of a video game and let them repeatedly murder you with some kind of video game and they will tell you everything. So just a little secret, a little parenting tip there. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I, I I got into it because I find it's a great way to stay in touch with these kids. And the second thing is that sometimes they're fun. And uh, this one that I played was uh, called Star Wars Jedi Survivor. And of course, I like Star Wars, and this one's about a Jedi. And this one isn't the one I play with the nephews and great nephews because it's um it's a single player game, and I like that because I can just pick it up whenever I want and continue it. And the games now are so advanced that they take forever to finish. Like Mm -hmm. the story is super long. So I'll be playing that one probably for a year or two. In fact, they had one before this that I finished. Like it came out like four years ago and I finished it like a year ago. So it takes me a long time. 
but sometimes it's fun to sit down and play a game. My platform of choice is the Xbox, and that's just because the um, that's the one my nephews play, and I want to play the be on the same platform as them. I know all my nerd friends tell me I need to do PlayStation, but that um, connection with the kids is important to me, so I'll play Xbox. And I don't own a lot of games, but uh, it's fun. Well, any other questions? I think I answered all the questions, but yeah, yeah, Video games. It's not not so bad, you know. No, no, not bad. We have a Nintendo Switch. And as far as I care, all it does is Mario Kart. I'm not a yeah. gamer by any stretch. Uh, but the kids yeah. enjoy it. They've got some Pokemon games and some other stuff. So yeah, we're we're a Switch household, but it doesn't it doesn't get a lot of play. I'll say that. Well, we we also have a Switch. My daughter does, and the um, you're right. Like when we have friends over, like of their age, they'll get them out, and I will join in. And again, I'm probably the worst one at it, but it's fun to have, do something together. But we had um, we had a bunch of graduate students over and we got the Nintendo switch out and it was like, you know, just hitting the rewind button and, and making them little kids again. They were mm-hmm. so happy to play Nintendo switch. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not that cranky. I, <laughs> games are okay. It's just, I think just moderation is all, you know, I, I think that's the thing with this yeah, stuff. I agree. Uh, we had a, a question from Steve who wrote in uh, after my 49th birthday last year, I decided I wanted to do something big before my 50th. And settled on doing a run Disney event. Though my Disney love doesn't reach Sparky level, we're all big fans. Uh, I'm not a runner, so it was a hard nine months of training, but I just completed my first half marathon. Congratulations. Uh, do you have suggestions for Apple Watch or iPhone or other apps for tracking runs? I ended up using Apple's workout apps, but are there things that are better? Before I get to that, because I've got some answers for that, tell me about run Disney. This was new to me. This is a whole like division of the company where they orchestrate um, healthy events at the Disney parks. They're particularly big in Florida because in Florida they've got so much real estate. And uh, but they also do them in California. I've done the 5K and the 10K. I've thought about the half marathon, but um, I do have some knee issues, and I don't want to aggravate that. Sure. But Daisy and I have done several 10Ks together. Um, they also organize, like her and I did Tai Chi in the park at 5 a.m. and stuff. So there's all kinds of cool stuff that the Run Disney team puts together. But they're events, and you go, and you get medals, and it's super fun. If you ever want to do a running event, I recommend them because everybody there is super supportive of you, and you have a lot of fun. And people dress up, and they do them themed. You know, Like we did a Star Wars 10K and I put on like a brown like jumpsuit, mm-hmm. and I had a backpack that was in the shape of Yoda. So it was like he was on my back, like when Luke's running with Yoda on his back in the movie, and everybody was like laughing at me as I was going down there with with Yoda on my back. So it's just like you can just have fun with it. And um, there are serious runners in it, and there are people there that have fun, and you can choose where you want to be on that spectrum. The other thing they do on it, which kind of messes up your heart rate, is they have picture spots throughout it. You know, so it's like on the Star Wars one, I was running, and then they had Ahsoka there. Well, I named my dog Ahsoka. I had to stop and take my picture right. with Ahsoka, yeah. right? You know, so um, th- so you just kind of decide what you do. But if you're interested in fitness and you and you have interest in Disney, you may want to check these things out. They're kind of fun. Yeah, and in terms of running apps, I mean, I think the perfect place to start is 
the the workout app on the Apple Watch, especially because last year they did those running features. And I'm not a big runner, so like uh, I'm interested if, in, in future feedback about this. But I think the Apple Watch has a lot to offer for someone getting started. There are several apps out there that are sort of built as like couch to 5K that like get you into running, like can help you get started uh, by slowly leveling you up to more distance and and more speed and that sort of thing. Um, The other one I would throw out there is Strava. Strava is very popular in the running and cycling community because you can share your activities with people and they can see where you are and you can do personal bests and, and all sorts of things. Um, I like, even when I ride my bike, especially now with the new stuff we talked about a second ago, I will track it in workouts on the watch and then I can pipe it into Strava. Strava can import an Apple watch workout and it doesn't give you like double credit on your rings. Right. So if you track it with Strava, Strava can apply that workout and it will close your rings for you on the watch. But if you import an Apple watch workout, it won't give you double points which is good because that's cheating. Um, But honestly, I've been very impressed with what Apple has done on their own. I really, I haven't, at least at my level, felt the need to to go past that. And congratulations, Steve, you did it. You know, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's very cool. This episode of MPU is brought to you by TailScale. Human-scale teams build trusted networks by securely connecting devices with TailScale. With TailScale, you can connect a home assistant to check your on your place while you're away. You can also stream movies, shows, and music anywhere from your NAS box using Plex or Jellyfin. Plus, you can access a pie hole from anywhere and secure your connection when on a Wi-Fi network that you don't totally trust. And now you can sign into TailScale using your Apple ID. So if you prefer having your credentials managed by Apple and iCloud, this option is great for you. Just sign into TailScale with your Apple ID on a Mac or iPhone using Touch ID or Face ID for a super fast sign-in. Plus, you can use a passkey to authenticate your TailScale account, a new feature you may remember seeing at WWDC. Once connected, you can use TailDrop to move files between a MacBook, iPhone, iPad, Linux VMs, Docker containers, Steam Deck, and even Windows boxes. If you're looking to share your work more widely, TailScale Funnel makes it easier than ever to share your local development over the internet for collaboration, testing, and experimentation. Using TailScale Funnel, you can receive a webhook from GitHub, share a local service with your coworker, or even host a personal blog or status page on your own computer. Funnel is a secure way to expose your development environment at a stable URL over the internet, complete with auto-provisioned TLS certificates. Use it from the command line or the new version of VS Code extension with a few keystrokes. You can securely expose a local port right to the internet, right from your IDE. TailScale has clients for macOS and iOS, as well as Windows, Linux, and Android. The free plan includes three users and 100 devices. Go to tailscale.com MPU to build your team's trusted network today. That link is in the show notes, but once again, it is tailscale. T-A-I-L-S-C-A-L-E, tailscale.com slash MPU. And if you're interested in working at Tailscale, they're currently hiring a macOS engineer. You can check out their careers page for more details. Our thanks to Tailscale for their support of the show and Relay FM. 
All right. We got feedback from Mike. Does David have regrets on buying the big drive in his new Mac studio? Man, you guys, I almost didn't put this in because I'm like, oh, I got to go down that road again and all the emails going to start, but uh, I'm going to just own it. Uh, yeah. I have an eight terabyte drive in my computer and I paid way too much money for it. And I love it. I love it. You know, I'm, I'm finishing Obsidian Field Guide right now. I've got a bunch of stuff and everything's on the native super fast drive. And when I do backups, it's all coming off one computer. So I don't have to monkey around with multiple drive backups. Like uh, it hurt when I paid for it, but everything else about it is good. Can I just say that? Just leave it there. I'm in the same boat. I mean, I did the eight terabytes in my MacBook Pro and yeah, it was really painful, but it is sweet when uh, everything's internal and I've got three and 3.8 terabytes free right now. And it's very nice. What this means is I will not be buying the M3 version. You know, yeah. I knew that when I went in, um, but it's all good. And uh, I, uh, I, I do think that getting extra storage internally in the Apple Silicon makes Apple Silicon era makes sense because there is nothing that is going to be as fast as the memory that's on the die. And so it really, if you like speed on your drive, you aren't going to be able to to catch it uh, otherwise. But it hurts because Apple charges a lot, especially as you get up to the higher specs. I think they really, you know, I feel like um, like I I paid for the paint job on Tim Cook's car when mm-hmm. I when I bought this <laughs> this drive. But the uh, but it's all good, and you know, Tim needs a nice color in his car anyway, so that's all right. What color do you think Tim Cook's car is? I think it's like uh, navy blue or something, something boring. Oh, it's definitely something boring, but um, I'm going to go that it's space gray. Okay. That he literally took in a space gray device and said, I need it to be space gray. I wonder what he drives. There was a Honda a, Civic. <laughs> there was a story that for a long time, Jeff Williams drove an old uh, Camry. And I yeah. totally believe it. Yeah. I mean, practical guys. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know. don't want the money to change you, you know? Yeah. Would <sighs> you, if you like suddenly found yourself with Tim Cook money, mm-hmm. What kind of car would you drive? Uh, uh, I would have a collection of old SUVs. So like original Forerunner, old like old Jeep, like CJ, you know, five, six, yeah. seven, somewhere in there. Uh, I would have an old Land Cruiser. I would have a first generation Bronco. I've thought about this a lot. It would be all old, like restored off-roaders. I have a, a close friend that has Land Cruiser disease, and it's I I like it. I think it's cool. They're you so know? cool. Oh, they're so yeah. Cool. And if if I was to have a car like that, it would be a Land Cruiser, I think. But yeah. Either way, I, yeah. I I think if I had like, you know, Tim Cook money, I just wouldn't drive anymore. I would just like have somebody drive mm. me. No, I'd I like driving too much. I don't. I don't. It's fun. You know, it's great. My new car is fun to drive, but. If I could sit in the back seat and take a nap or do some work, I'd probably prefer that. But there you go. <laughs> no no risk of that with my current uh life situation. So. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say this is very far fetched with both of us like. Also on the Mac, since we're talking Mac Studio real quick, it just in general, it's been great for me. I haven't missed the um the MacBook Pro. Uh, maybe someday I'll need to not use a computer at my desk. And I, I feel like I'm not even going to miss it then. Cause I do have the little MacBook air. Yeah. 
Um, the the ports in front are awesome, mm-hmm. and I use them all the time because I do a lot of recording. You know, that's how I pay for my shoes. And uh, so when I'm plugging in devices to record or doing things in the labs, uh, not having to reach around is great. It, that's really not a justification for upgrading, but it, that is a feature that I really like. Um, I also like that I just never hear it. It's just super quiet. And like I'm putting my hand on it right now and it feels like it's cold. You know, the aluminum isn't even warm and it's a great computer. Apple has just knocked it out of the park with this Mac studio. Um, There's a lot of complaints out there about the Mac pro, which I think are justified. Uh, I still think that, you know, we, we've gone over this before on the show. I still think that, that they missed with the big chip that they wanted to put in the Mac pro. And this current one is a placeholder, but uh, if you're going to buy a great Mac right now, I think it would probably be a Mac studio. Yep. Just depending on how much, whether you want the ultra or the max version, depending on what you do. Yeah. uh, I think you're right. It's a fantastic computer. Uh, Carolyn wrote in, are you still using Freeform? If not, what are you using for graphics? The answer for me is it's complicated. I, I still am trying to spend a lot of time in the free form. It's an Apple app. I want to get to know it better. Uh, I think that it may be something that is much, uh, I think it's something that I'm going to want to use when I get the hypothetical vision pro, right? Uh, so I want to use, do stuff with it. I've got a couple free form graphs I'm sharing with JF and some of the team. And I've got some old personal stuff that I'm trying to work through, but I still really like OmniGraffle and I still really like MindNote. And so this is kind of how it works for me. When I'm really thinking through something, I use MindNote because it's just so fast and good for what it does. And when I'm making something that I'm going to present as a graphic that's going to be shown to other people, I do it in OmniGraffle. Mm-hmm. And then Freeform is kind of falling between the cracks right now. Uh, it's got a heavy collaboration thing. It's got some improvements in the betas with the new operating systems. We'll talk about that probably when, when they release, but um, it hasn't like taken over if that's what you're asking, Carolyn. But I do think that it's useful and I think it's going to be particularly useful with vision pro, but we'll see. Yeah. It feels like that app was built with vision pro (laughs) in mind. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really using it. We spoke about this maybe even just like last week that I, I don't do a lot of visual stuff like that. And when I do, generally my node fits the bill the best. And so when I need something like, you know, sort of like visual arrangement tools, usually it's my node. Freeform is great. And I love that it's built in. And like, if you've never experimented with apps like this, go back and listen to our episode. And it it is being bundled in fantastic. Uh, that's all great, but I just don't have a big, a big need for that sort of thing. Sure. Jason writes, uh, Hey, there are rumors of a new Apple watch ultra. You both own one. Would you recommend it? Uh, first, let me just say, and I know Steven, you wrote a note about this too in the outline. I don't understand why this is a rumor. I would think, of course, there's going to be a new Apple yeah. watch ultra every year. There there's yeah. Even if it's not a big update, look, Apple's clearly not above doing small watch hardware updates, right? We've had the same processor for years on the main mainline Apple Watch. It's always surprised me that people are like, there's not going to be a second one. Of course it is. I, 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 I have seen 
more ultras in the wild over the last couple of months. Like, I feel like it's making headway. Why would they skip it? So even if it's minor, I think they're gonna, they're gonna do a new one. Well, I mean, they, whatever they add to the Apple watch, was it 10? They're going to be a 10 next year. Are they on the nine? They're on the the series eight. They're on the series eight. Yeah. So whatever they add to the series nine, of course, they've got to add it to the ultra too. How do you say we're selling an ultra, but it doesn't have all the gizmos that the series nine does. I feel like they have to make an update and, and particularly I hope they figure out how to make an update of a smaller one. Um, but the, uh, but yeah, I, I love it and I think it's great. And I like the extra button. The size isn't overwhelming the extra battery life. Yes, yes, yes. I would buy it again. I will not buy one this year. But I think that this is a great product, and I, I think that if somebody's thinking about getting one and you want to wait for the new ones, that's fine, and I think there will be a new one. Yeah, I would definitely do another Ultra. I, I'm with you. It will not be this year. Uh, the battery life and the features have held up so well. I'm totally happy with this being a multi-year watch. But uh, it's, I mean, I can't say enough good things about it. If the size works for you and it doesn't work for everybody, right? That's really the thing I think with the ultra is, is it just too big for you? It's not too big for me. I don't think I could go any bigger, but it, it works for me. And if you, if you uh, can handle the the size of it, then I'd say go for it. All right. Uh, I whine about faces on the show too much about watch faces. Just really quick. What is your current watch face? Uh, it's the same as basically it's ever been, which is modular. However, okay. the point that you made earlier with the widgets being a like a spin away, I have been experimenting with some others, including uh, Solar, which I really like, and then the classic utility. But um, that I haven't spent enough time in there yet to really like make a final decision about WatchOS 10. Yeah, I will never stick with one very long, but the last few weeks I've been using Explorer, which is an old face, um, but it looks nice and it's very readable and it's got just a few widgets. I use a better day, what they call that, a better calendar, I forget what the specific better name of the date, app is. maybe? A better date, yes, yeah. to give me the date on it. I use timer and my upcoming events, but it's very clean. And uh, gang, when the new watch list comes out, you'll see you can use faces that are not so um, information dense. But either way, yeah, Jason, it's cool. Get yourself an Apple Watch Ultra, but probably wait if you can. Yeah, don't do it now. <laughs> do it in September. <laughs> we got feedback from Matt, which uh, you know, once in a while we need to have um, we need to be knocked down a peg, and and Matt took care of that for us. He says, why are you mocking sailing? It's kind of a niche sport, but tens of thousands participate nationwide, and it can be very athletic and very competitive. So I have been uh, castigated, because I think I made fun of sailing as like a rich guy thing. I think we did, yeah. Because it's, it's a workout type, and we... Yeah, yeah. So, sorry. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> Maybe I was thinking about like yachting. Like, you know, like you got one of those... Yeah, five hundred million dollar yachts, but that doesn't make sense as a workout. I don't know, Matt. You just got me. You know, sometimes things just come out of my mouth, and uh, we got a uh, what now? Seven hundred episodes, an hour and a half an episode. Yeah, there's going to be some things in there that I regret saying. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about real quick, uh, Stephen, I want to get your take on it. We did a, a labs meetup last week and it, everybody's excited about vision pro. And that that's something I didn't realize, you know, after a couple months, I thought it kind of died down, but we started talking about and the, the room kind of lit up and we got into the question of what is your dream app for vision pro? Like, let's say you've got one strapped to your face right now. What's the app that you would like to see exist? I just thought it'd be a fun question for you. Yeah, I've thought a lot about this. And I think what I'm, what comes to mind so far is like mindfulness stuff. I know you and I've talked a lot about this. I'm not using uh, really anything for that. I've kind of graduated. When I started some mindfulness stuff a few years ago, I was using Headspace and I kind of graduated that where I can, can do it more on my own. Um, but I still use like white noise apps and some other things like that if I'm having trouble. But I think that's going to be really interesting. And I think even though I don't use it a lot, I could see instances where having a collaborative environment with Freeform or something like it could be really useful. Like every Monday, for instance, I have a call with Mike and Carrie at Relay FM, and we have a Google Doc. And Every week there's a new entry in the Google Doc of like what we need to talk about and what we need to deal with. And those sorts of meetings, I don't have very many of them, but those sorts of meetings being more collaborative than just us on Zoom with Google Doc, like that's really intriguing to me. So if that's free form or if something else kind of comes to the forefront there over time, I don't know. But I think that sort of like presence and working together as someone who works on their own alone every day, that sort of stuff is exciting to me. Yeah, I I feel like you and I both suffer from like a lack of imagination on this, right? Because yeah. oh yeah, you know the, those are totally great ideas. Like mine is similar. I would like to be able to strap it on and have like a twenty foot whiteboard in here. You know, kind of why I'm interested in freeform, frankly, mm-hmm. where I could just have like a little thing that I strap this headset on, and I've got a thing where all my ideas are working projects or whatever it is that I need to think through. I'm a very visual thinker. Having something where I could like see it all in front of my face at once and interact with it would be really cool. But it seems to me kind of a cop-out too, right? Because I could also, I guess, you know, just like rip all the wood off this wall and put you know, a 10 foot whiteboard in here right now, if I wanted. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I feel like there, what I want is what somebody is, is out there making right now. I'm not sure what it is. The other thing that came up with this and I, uh, I wrote about it in the Max Sparky newsletter last week, but I have a theory about the apps in general for the, the headset. I think there's going to be largely two categories of apps. I think that this is clearly a device aimed at the enterprise. So there's going to be a bunch of people making expensive enterprise type apps for it. I mean, there's going to be developers that want to make money on making apps. I mean, that's their job, right? And if this thing isn't going to have huge adoption, it's not going to have Apple watch numbers. Like Mm -hmm. I, I would be surprised if they sold more of these than they did Apple watch ultra. Right. But we'll see. I mean, uh, but I just don't think they're going to sell a huge quantity of them. So the people making apps that want to make money are going to have to charge a lot of money. Uh, so there's going to be enterprise type apps aimed at the enterprise. But I also think there's going to be like a land grab of people making, you know, more normal apps for 
normal users that just want to be in the space and just kind of have the app there. So whenever these things do get cheaper and more prevalent, that they're already the established app in their category. Right. Um, those are the ones I'm looking forward to. What I really am looking forward to is the uh, the drafts of the Vision Pro, like the mm-hmm. app where you're like, oh, I never thought something like this could exist, but it does exist because of the nature of this platform, you know? And um, like when you think about the eye tracking and everything, there is definitely a lot of blue sky out there for someone to make a creative app. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, the people who live and breathe in this world and that's not us and so I, i'm yeah. i'm excited to explore you know I, I i can't help but think about the early days of the iphone and ipad app store where it's like we just wanted to see what was possible like i downloaded a bunch of stuff in those early days that didn't stick at all but i yeah. wanted to see what people were doing and what ideas were out there and i think that there will be there will be a repeat of that sort of feeling i think with the vision pro when the first time I had an iPhone game that had physics in it, I was like, this is amazing. Like I'd never seen anything like it before. And now it's commonplace, but there's going to be that stuff on the vision pro too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by MacPaw, which is thrilled to announce moonlock their new cybersecurity division. And along with it, their upgraded clean my Mac malware removal module. You can join millions of satisfied users who rely on CleanMyMac's malware removal for its ease of use and dependability, and now it's powered by the Moonlock engine. It's even more effective in safeguarding your Mac. Moonlock engine is brought to you by the Moonlock division, a new cybersecurity unit at MacPaw. This is a big deal. If you use CleanMyMac X, you now have robust malware protection in that application, and you can find out more about the Moonlock engine and even try the updated Clean My Mac with 5% off with the coupon code MOONLOCKMPU uh, using the link in the description. That's M-O-O-N-L-O-C-K-M-P-U, no spaces. This is a big deal for Clean My Mac X. I know they've been working on this for some time. I got in on the beta and have been using it, and I really like it. I'm generally not a fan of malware software, but Clean My Mac X is implemented in a way that it doesn't feel like you're installing a virus on your computer to have malware protection. Everything runs right out of Clean My Mac X and it runs fast. With this new version, not only does it review your internal drive, it also looks at your external drives, mail attachments, archives, and browser extensions. They're leaving no stone unturned in the fight against malware, and you can customize your scan to suit your needs. Prioritize either speed or coverage, giving you the control over the level of protection you want. My recommendation is, you know, once a month, do a full scan. And then if you want to do a smaller scan in between, you're probably fine. MacPaw assembled a whole team of security experts to do this. They are focused exclusively on addressing the security needs of Mac users without being terrible. As cyber threats continue to rise, they're committed to bridging the gap between emerging risks and the knowledge needed to protect against them. Click on the link in the show notes to learn more about the Moonlock engine and try the updated Clean My Mac. You get 5% off with that coupon code MOONLOCKMPU. If you're a SetApp subscriber, you've already got the update. You can just open it up and check it out. Incorporating malware removal in Clean My Mac makes a ton of sense, and I'm sold. And our thanks to MacPaw for their new cybersecurity division, Moonlock, and their support of the show. 
we had a couple of questions about the studio display. And so I thought I could give a little uh, give a little update on that. There'll be a link in the show notes to my gear and setup page on 512 Pixels. That's like the full rundown of what I'm using and how I'm using it. But the high level is studio display, 14-inch MacBook Pro with a CalDigit TS4 Thunderbolt dock in the middle. And so everything runs through the CalDigit. Uh, I just have one Thunderbolt cable going to my laptop, which is pretty sweet. I don't have, you know, a bunch of stuff I got to unplug and plug in every time. Yeah, well, I, uh, let me just stop right there. How is the reliability of that one plug set up? It's great. I really I've been totally totally fine with it. And I've never had weird issues with the Cal digit where like, you know, it doesn't want to wake up or anything like that. It seems to be really solid. Really solid. Well, that's cool. I mean, and one di- you're right. One cable is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's nice and clean. So the, the studio display itself, if you if you ever sat in front of a 5K iMac or an iMac Pro, it is that panel. So it's 27 inches, 5120 by 2880. That puts it at 218 pixels per inch. So it's it's very comfortable in terms of resolution and size. I would not necessarily recommend a 4K display at 27 inches on the Mac. Uh, I think... This is right in the sweet spot of of density for Mac OS. It has what you would expect from a modern, well, recently modern, I'll talk about that in a second, recently modern Apple display. So it has uh, P3 wide color support. It does true tone, so it matches the temperature of the light to your room. I have that turned off because uh, I do some design work at work and don't want to be tricked into thinking one color is another color. Uh, yeah. Same with night shift. It can warm up the display at night. I have that turned off as well. Um, and you can get it with nano texture. I did not because I'm afraid of the nano texture over time. It's like you have to clean it with a special cloth and you have to be careful with it. Uh, and I don't have any glare in here because I designed this room. It's like I have lights behind me, but they're really high. And so I don't have any direct light on the screen. So no problems with glare in here. Yeah. That's the reason my my room has no south facing windows. Exactly, it's just like I I don't want that. But I feel like the nano texture thing is it solves a specific problem. If you have direct sunlight where you work, uh, it's worth it. And if not, it's probably not because for the exactly the reason you explained. You know, it's an extra problem. Yeah, and if I was in a situation where I had sun streaming in, I would deal with the complexity of the nano texture, but I'm not. So I don't feel like I have to, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. How does, cause you had a pro display XDR before, and now you've got the studio display. The size difference is, is there, but do you miss anything else from the pro display? I never used the pro display for what it could do in terms of all the reference modes and the peak brightness. Like I don't have any workflows to take advantage of that. So I always felt a little bit like the pro display XDR was like a, like a supercar that I really wasn't (laughs) capable of driving to its full extent. I do miss the size a little bit, but I I very quickly became accustomed to the 27 inch size because I used an iMac and iMac pro for a long time. So it felt, 
comfortable very quickly to go back to the 27. In terms of overall like screen quality, the XDR is nicer, even if you don't use all of the fancy features it has. Look, the studio display using the 5K iMac panel is both good and bad. Like, it's a great panel, but it's old. And even the Pro Display XDR can't really keep up in some ways with the the Liquid Retina XDR displays on the the 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pro. So, like, neither of them have ProMotion. Yeah. The X the Pro Display XDR, the standalone, does have the dynamic range and the massive, you know, high end brightness. The studio display only goes to 600 nits, which is plenty bright for my situation. In fact, I only run it at about half brightness most of the time. But there's no getting around it that this display is the best of a past generation. Now, it pairs really nicely with something like the MacBook Air or a Mac Mini or a Mac Studio, right? Where you're, but if you're using a MacBook Pro open next to it like I do and you use ProMotion, which I don't, then, yeah, you're going to, like, feel the difference. So this is kind of a step back in time in some ways. Not in ways that matter to me, but they may matter to other people. Is that Does that track? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It makes total sense. And, you know, makes you wonder what's next, but this yeah. is what is. And for a long time, there wasn't anything from Apple. So... Uh, I guess we should be happy we have this. <laughs> I, I'm I'm thrilled that it's here and uh and and we can get to the the value of it at the end. But the thing that's nice about this over the Prodex CR is that it is like more like a hub. I mean, they both yeah. have downstream USB C, and that's great. But this has speakers and microphone and a camera, and the Prodex CR has none of those things, and. I get why, because like the idea of the pro display is like, it's going to be in really high end work environments where they don't want cameras and they're going to be using much nicer audio setups. And and I get all that, but for even for me as a professional user, it's kind of nice having all that built in and the six speaker system in the studio display sounds really good. Like Apple's on their game when it comes to speakers. In fact, I put my sound sticks into retirement. I'm just using including editing all my shows just on the studio display speakers. And you know what? It's totally great. And they get really loud and they sound really clear. I've been very happy with, with the audio uh, in terms of uh, the speaker experience. Now, yeah, the microphone's fine for calls. What Apple calls studio quality and what I call studio quality are not the same thing, but well, that's always been the case. Though, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. Apple, Apple is very liberal with the use of studio quality. <laughs> really are. Studio quality. They, they really are. But it is, uh, it's fantastic to have all that, all that built in. The speaker, I am interested in the speakers because you're right. I mean, this is something where you had a subwoofer and, and proper speakers on your desk before. And it's always kind of ugly having them there. It's kind of fun getting rid of them when you can, but you don't, do you notice a difference in terms of the audio ver- having dedicated speakers versus these built in things? Or are they good enough that you don't even really notice? I mean, these are on, I mean, I was using sound sticks that were like 100 years old. Yeah. You can definitely yeah. go way nicer externally, but I don't necessarily need that. And these meet my needs and it keeps the desk a little bit tidier, which is nice too. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then the camera. So the you know when this came out, that was the story. Like, yeah, the camera sucks, and everybody didn't like it. And um, Apple did several software patches. I haven't really checked in on this in the meantime. Uh, although I will say, several labs members use these uh, displays, and I don't think they look that bad. I you know I I'm, I think the camera thing might be a bit overblown. Yeah, but that's just me looking at people in them. What do you think of it? Right, it's not fantastic, but it's not a dumpster fire either. I think yeah. Apple's mistake was thinking that center stage, the thing where it can reframe the camera as you move around, they put that at the top of the priority list, and that meant that other things uh, were further down and. I personally don't like center stage. I don't like the framing moving around. I find it really distracting if someone else uses it on calls. But it's uh, it, it means that the quality isn't quite what it could have been. Because basically, what they're doing is it's a it's a it's a sensor that they're only using parts of at a time, and they're doing this like trickery with the lens. And I would have been happier with just a straight on non rearranging camera of higher quality. But again. For Zoom calls, when you're in a box 400 pixels wide, totally fine. Would I use it to produce a video on my YouTube channel? No. But for FaceTiming or Zoom calls or whatever, it's totally passable. I feel like it should have been better. I mean, I I just got done saying it, it looks okay. But I feel like for a product with an Apple logo on it and a company that makes you know millions and millions of these iPhone cameras that are, are really quite good, like what, what? Why couldn't they have just done that? And you know, maybe there's an explanation that I don't understand, but I feel like it, it should have been better. But I also feel like that you know, COVID happened probably while this was in design, and maybe it was too late. And maybe some future. I uh, let me just say, I'll be surprised if the next major, you know, monitor bump that Apple does doesn't have a much better camera in it. I would agree with that. And I think center stage is kind of a failed experiment and maybe that'll slowly get phased out. I don't know. I I personally don't like it. I don't know how people feel about it on the whole, but totally fine for video calls, but don't expect to be, get your socks blown off. But again, it's built in, right? So I had an external webcam and I tried an Opal and like you was pretty disappointed in it. So I'm just using the built-in for my, you know, couple of video calls I have a week and it's yeah, fine for I, that. So I've put a fancy camera on a stick behind the mm-hmm. monitor at this point. And when when I when I stopped using the old pole, I put that one up and it looks so much better. And but but I'm a weird case because I do a lot of uh, video stuff for the stuff I make. And yeah. So having like a, a established good camera there that shoots a 4K image, but it added a whole bunch of complexity. I had to get that Elgato camera stick, you know, the 4K camera stick. And so I, I had to spend extra money. And what I'm doing is not what I would recommend for most people. But I guess if you spend a lot of time in the front of the camera, it works great. But I think it's overkill for most people. I, I do wish Apple had found that kind of Goldilocks spot between an SLR and just like a typical crappy webcam. And I feel like they had it in them, but for whatever reason, they didn't do it with this one and hopefully they will do it with the next one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see where that, where that goes. I guess the, the last thing I would say is just like the physicality of it. It's 
Got a couple of different stand options. You have to choose when you buy it. I went with the tilt adjustable stand really because of the studio display. It's regular foot is just too low for me. I think it's too low for most people. And yeah. I, I didn't want to do a vase amount. So I, I went with the tilt thing and I don't change it very often. Like it's basically kind of been in the position it's always been. But I like that I can change it. And there are times where maybe I need to, to tweak something. Because your camera's in it, uh, or my camera's in it, you know, sometimes I tilt it down or, you know, drop it down a little bit so I'm more kind of in line with the camera. But uh, it's, it's of course, very nicely built, all aluminum, and it looks great. I mean, it fits right in with with Apple's other hardware with aluminum and black bezels, and it's it's a very nice physical object, I think, to have on my desk. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're pretty happy with it overall. I am. I am happy with it. And, uh, you know, I think it will. I don't know how it's going to age. I mean, uh, there are definitely things that Apple has out there in their display technology. This doesn't have right. Set the camera stuff aside. Like, what's the deal with like promotion? Is that ever going to make it to an external display? Is there are there going to be uh OLED options or mini LED, right? There's other technologies Apple is using in other parts of their ecosystem. And and this display is from an iMac that's, you know, years old. But it totally works because that display was so good when it came out and it has held up well. And it does integrate with macOS so well that even if something better down the line, you know, shows up, which I'm sure it will, this is still pretty great. It's my one complaint is I think it's a little expensive for what it is especially given the fact that the, that the panel is so old. Uh, I wish it was two to three two to three or $400 cheaper than it is. But like we said earlier, before this, the only option was $6,000. So maybe we're just accustomed to how much the Pro Display XDR costs, and this feels like a value. But I, I do wish this was maybe a little bit more affordable for people. You mentioned earlier the uh, the you know promotion and all the cool stuff we're seeing on the MacBook Pro screens. Given that Apple has that technology now, what do you think is the monitor that Apple should make for the desktop? Like if you were in charge, yeah, and and understanding you're not an electrical engineer and all mm-hmm. that, but just based on as a as a fan of the company and mm-hmm. understand what they're doing on laptops. So, what would you what would be that dream monitor for you? I think for me it would be a little bit bigger than this, so maybe 30-ish inches. I think five and a half or six K is really nice. And I think just improving improving the camera and the audio, I think, has got to be there. I think the camera in particular, you've got to kind of reassess what you're doing there if you're Apple. And I think you've got to find ways to bring some of those new technologies in. So like ideally you would have ProMotion and OLED or mini LED, something where the blacks can be blacker. And the, the, this is an LCD and the blacks aren't super dark. Now I'm not watching movies on this thing. I don't know many people who, who would be, but bringing it more in step with like what the MacBook pro can offer, I think is really nice, but I do think they've got to balance all that with the cost. This thing, like they need $1,200-ish display and not just a $5,000 display. And so I do worry that, yes, it'd be really awesome if all this stuff was built in, but if that means it's going to be twice as expensive, that 
kind of changes my math a little bit. And maybe I'd be yeah. more willing to live with something that's not quite as nice if it's more affordable for people. Because the Mac Studio and the Mac Mini are all great. And a bunch of people use laptops with displays. And that needs to be accessible to as many people as we can get. Agreed. Agreed. I also, I'll tell you on my XDR, because people ask me when you bought yours, they're like, well, why don't you sell your XDR and get a pro uh, studio display like Steven? And I actually thought about it yeah. because I am like you, I am driving a Maserati, but I drive it only in parking lots mm-hmm. in essence with the way I use the screen. And I, I overpaid for it. Right. I, I, I did a trade for it, but I traded something I could have made thousands of dollars off. And I was kind of dumb in the way I got this thing, but I have it now. And I guess just like my big drive in my Mac studio, I really love it. It's great. I like the large size screen. I used to have multiple monitors. Now I don't because I have one monitor that's huge and um, that's great. And I get that like the way they're doing the, the backlight is not as advanced as what they're doing with some of the modern stuff. But my intention is to ride this horse into the ground. I mean, I'm going to use this screen hopefully for many, many years and I won't feel as bad about it when you amortize it over the years, but, but it, it is great. And I like it. I'm not recommending anybody get it, especially now at this point. Um, but it is really great having a 32 inch screen and being able to move all your windows around and, the stand is amazing. All this stuff is great, except that it was ridiculously expensive. But uh, I'm not going to make any moves. I've kind of got around the the problems. I bought a little set of nice set of little speakers that don't take a tremendous amount of space on the desk, but they sound good. I've got my fancy camera, you know, strapped to the desk, so I've got a good video camera. I I found ways around all the problems of it, mm-hmm. but uh, I am just gonna. You know, I think at this point I'm in, you know, I don't want to, I'd probably lose, you know, no matter what I do with this thing, I'd lose money. Like, you know, it's not like somebody's going to give me asking price for this, this screen. Right. Uh, And it's great. I think I'd miss it too. So I'm just, like I said, I'm going to just keep, keep going with this one for hopefully a long time. Yeah. I, I hope that this Mac studio isn't the last computer connected to it. Yeah, I don't I think I don't think it would be. I mean, that's sort of the beauty of these things and like I can change up my computer and like the rest of my setup stay basically the same. And there's something nice about that, and that is sort of the promise of an external display. You know, a common knock against the iMac is that well, when the computer's outdated, the screen may still be fine. And that that's that argument has some merit and you know, something you got to think about. Uh, we, last time we talked about your MacBook pro transition, cause you went from two computers to one computer. Yeah. It was when you had first made the transition. Uh, now it's been about six months or so. How long have you, has it been since you did uh, this? It's, yeah, it's been a while. I mean, I've got the M2 pro and I got it when it was pretty new. So yeah, it's been six months or so. Uh, and it's going, it's going so well like i've i've traveled now i did wbc and visited family and then did a vacation and i got some travel coming up this weekend and it's awesome just like have one computer i know like all my stuff's on it exactly the way i want and there is a little bit of (laughs) i didn't have the thought on one trip i was like something happens to this computer i'm in so much trouble like i have it all backed up right but it's my really my only computer setup to do work on 
So there is yeah. that, but I don't, this summer has been, has had more travel than I've had in years. And honestly, more than I like doing. So, but, and, and in fairness, like if this thing got ran over by a dump, dump truck, you're one Apple store visit away from yes. having a working machine. Yeah. Again. yeah. Yeah. And a time machine restore or, you know, logging into yeah. Dropbox and getting my core stuff or whatever. So yeah, I can, I could replace it. But it is, it's just really nice. And I really like the setup with the MacBook Pro open to the left and the studio display in front of me. I like that, you know, if I'm working in the house or somewhere else, I don't have to think about like, oh, did that get synced to Dropbox or is it on my desktop for some reason? Or, you know, one thing that that would get me, it's very specific just to me and you, is we try a lot of apps and stuff for a lot of our episodes, right? And Sometimes I would want to work on that, not at my desk. It's like, oh, well, I installed, you know, yeah. launch bar, or whatever I'm trying on my desktop and it's not here. And like, that's nice. Like, it's nice to just have one system to kind of keep up with. That's true. We do a lot of testing and it, it is a pain when you forget which computer you put the software on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you don't see yourself going back to desktop laptop or not adding. At this, not at this point. Um, I'm, and it. Okay. Quite happy with it, like you, because I did the eight terabytes. Like, uh, I, I spent a lot it's, of money on this kind laptop. Of invested, yeah. <laughs> and I get that. and honestly, like, I agree with you. It's it's great to have storage. You don't get your money out of the storage as much as you put into it. So, like, uh, and with Apple Silicon, I don't like the M2 Pro, and I just have the M2 Pro, like, not even the Max. Yeah. It's plenty fast for what I do, and yeah. so I don't. Unlike the Intel days where I felt like I really do got to upgrade every couple of years because I'm just like slamming this machine, like hitting the wall all the time. I don't feel that way. And so uh, this is super famous last words coming from me, but like I am really happy with this setup. And if anything, I thought, oh, no, the Mac Pro may mark like knock me off target. And it did not like I do not have a desire for the for the Apple Silicon Mac Pro. And so this is going to kind of be how I roll for a long time. I think. Okay. You know, what's going to be hard. I, we almost need to make like a support group between us because I think the M three is going to get that three nanometer die shrink. And that's going to mean that like it, it is a substantial jump. Yeah. That's when we're going to have to really like hold each other, hold each other up. You know, it's like, okay, buddy, we're both Cortez. We, we burned our ships by buying eight terabyte drives. Yeah. <laughs> we we got to stay in the new world. We can't go back. But the, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, I, I'm glad it seems like you're really happy with it. I, I like that. I, I wondered if you were going to like buy like a MacBook air and become like a desktop, laptop, laptop, laptop guy, you know, mm. but you know, yeah. The, the downside is I don't have an M2 air in my life anymore. And I love that laptop. Yeah. Um, yeah I, me too. I, I did pick up the cheapest refurbished M1 MacBook air I could find for my, yeah, beta machine this summer and i'll do yeah. my screenshots on it and stuff and i need to after the beta cycle's over i am going to take that machine and at least put like audio hijack on it and one password and sign into it on my iCloud account so i do have a machine that's like okay something happened to my macbook pro and i got to record mpu today i could still do it right but it will be on the shelf as a as you know break glass and emergency things i don't want to work on an m1 macbook air so yeah that is sort of my escape valve once we're out of beta season later this year. So I do have some some sort of safety net there. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. 
What's a game where no one wins? The waiting game. And when it comes to hiring, you don't want to wait for great talent to find you. Find them first with Indeed. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, you can use Indeed's powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools that help you find matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the very moment they sponsor a job. According to Indeed Data, U.S. Indeed's hiring platform really is great. Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to U.S. Indeed Data. Even better, Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements, making it an unbelievably powerful hiring platform, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. So join more than the 3 million businesses worldwide that are using Indeed to hire great talent. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com MPU. This offer is good for a limited time, so claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com MPU. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com MPU to support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for the support of the show and Relay FM. Stephen, we haven't covered this in several feedback shows, but we used to always talk about stuff we're playing with, and I wanted to do that again. So, Stephen, what are you playing with? Yeah, uh, we really didn't do it just behind the scenes because I have been so busy with the Kickstarter calendar. I was like, no time for anything. And now I'm in this phase with the calendar where, like, my production work is effectively done. I got to do one more round of fact-checking, but, like, photography's done, layout's done. And then it will go to the press and I won't get it back for a while. So I've had some time and I'm friends with Federico Vitici, who does his terrible, terrible things when it comes to peer pressure. And he was talking to us recently about an idea of a portable HomePod mini. And he found this thing on Amazon and like, it's fine. There's a bunch of these out there. This is what he suggested. So I just got it and it was like 40 bucks and not, not too expensive. But it's a battery base built for a HomePod mini. It even has like a little place for you to wind the cable up because the HomePod mini ca- uh, cable is effectively attached. I don't remember if you can like yank it off or not, but I didn't want to do that. So I didn't. And uh, it's it's got a 10,000 milliamp battery. And so you can use a, uh, a HomePod mini as long as you have Wi-Fi, of course, like on the back porch or in the garage and not like not have it out there all the time. Yeah. And so I did this and I bought a yellow home pod mini. Uh, I accidentally made like an ice cream cone because the base is white and the, <laughs> I didn't mean for that to happen, but it did. Yeah, but, okay. I see that. Um, anyway, so I got it set up. The base does affect the sound a little bit, but it's not bad. Like using it outside, it's never going to sound amazing anyway. So for me, it's fine. I did run into a problem, though, because I have advanced data protection turned on in my iCloud account. And if 
you unbox a HomePod mini that's probably been on a, in a warehouse for a while, the software is out of date. And if you have ADP turned on on your iCloud account, you can't update HomePods at a certain point. And I had totally forgotten about this, right? So I unbox this thing. So just picture me, I'm in my office. I unbox it. I go to pair it with my phone running the iOS 17 beta and it just fails. I was like, oh, is this a beta thing? Like, I got to like get my wife's phone and set it up. Like, that's going to be no good. And then like 10 minutes into this, I um, I realized like, oh, I can, this was an issue and I can, um, I can just plug it into my Mac. And so I did that. I have a screenshot in the show notes. It shows up in Finder and it looks like the old iTunes interface, but it totally worked. So I just plugged it in via USB-C. I did get this notice that the HomePod mini can't play when plugged into a Mac, but you can update it. And uh, so it showed up. It showed up in the wrong color. It should have been yellow. It showed up in black and finder. That feels like a, a detail Apple missed. But I yeah. just updated it to the new HomePod software on my Mac, and then my phone saw it, and it's it's pretty sweet. So I used it in the garage the other day doing some stuff out there. And Because usually I would just use AirPods, but it's like, you know, I want to try this out. And I got to say, portable HomePod mini life is pretty cool. Yeah, you've got to have a use for it, but I think it's a good idea. I like it. I have a HomePod in my garage. I mean, shop. So uh, we had an <laughs> old one, and it's still working. So until then, I've got it plugged in out there. It's kind of, yeah, I love that feature where you just like set a playlist on your phone and you just hold it next to the HomePod and it just picks it up and starts playing. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's some, there's some nice stuff about the home pod. I know it's taken a lot of beating and it, you know, it's had a weird kind of checkered past, but I feel like eventually Apple's going to kind of really get it right. The other thing about um, advanced data protection is I feel like I, I wish that when Apple implemented that, it didn't come with those kinds of gotchas later. Cause you know, there's some more of those out there and I really want to recommend ADP without asterisk, but at this point, you know, running it, uh, you will occasionally run into problems like this, and and hopefully Apple figures them all out faster than we run into them. But yeah, and over time, I think they'll fade away, right? Because yeah. I'm sure like Vision OS was built with ADP, like it knows about it, right? This HomePod yeah. running some ancient version of the HomePod software, right? So I think over yeah. time that will clear up, but. Advanced data protection, like I think we talked about when it came out, it it is, it does potentially open a lot of cans of worms in terms of account recovery and some other things that you know you got to make the decision for yourself. I have it turned on. I trust myself to manage the keys. I have a my Apple ID is relatively short username, and I've had some like weird things happen years ago. Was like, you know. It seems like someone's trying to log in somewhere. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to turn this on and it makes me sleep better at night. So, um, yeah. But yes, I, I totally forgot about the, the HomePod mini thing. Uh, and then it just came to me like a, uh, you know, like one of like the, like the light from heaven and like the angels singing. Yeah. It's like, oh, right. You got to plug it into a Mac. And it uh, worked out. And I, and I would say that if you're, uh, if you've got it turned on, just remember that you've got it turned on. And if something weird happens, maybe that's why. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, you should always be suspicious of it if you run into a setup problem. Yeah. 
Um, I've got a couple. I, I had been collecting them because we hadn't done it for a while. And um, one of them is uh, my Amazon Prime Day purchase. You know, the uh, you got me to buy that Jackery a couple of years ago. Yeah, they're awesome. And I, I like it. You know, it, I didn't get the biggest one, but I got a nice size one. And I have a cart, a video cart in the studio. And I love having, I just keep it on there because some of the stuff that I use is USB powered. And sometimes I don't want to plug the cart in and I, I run it off of that. So that's what I use it for day to day. But I also charge it regularly. Every time I plug in the cart, it's getting charged. And, you know, the idea is if we have a big, you know, earthquake or fire or we lose power for any reason this would allow us to keep our phones running for multiple days and it i understand this is not like a whole house generator or it's not going to you know really give you all the power you would want if you lose power but it's at least enough to keep you connected to the world Um, but you know there's always a downside to that is if we lose power i would have one charge worth of you know safety net with this thing Mm -hmm. and I've always been curious about getting uh, a solar panel for it. You know, they make them. They're quite expensive. Usually they run about 300 bucks to get the Jackery one that's made for my battery. And, and I just, for, you know, I just didn't want to spend that money. That's a lot of money. And um, then on Amazon prime day, they went down to 200 bucks. So it was like 33% off and I bought one. So I've got a big bat, a big uh, solar panel. Now my, uh, my Jackery talks to the sun. You know, yeah, I've run it, set it up outside the other day and charged it and it's fine. I got the hundred watt one. They make a 200 watt one, mm-hmm. which is, you know, going to charge faster. But for what I do, this is fine. One of the guys in the labs got the 200 watt one and he put it on the roof of his golf cart and, awesome. he, uh, and then he runs a Jackery battery inside the golf cart and like charges stuff and plays his boom box or whatever. When he's driving around the golf cart, I thought that was pretty clever. That is that is really cool. Yeah, the 200 watt watt one is like 700 bucks. So I think unless you really need it, I think the 100 watts the way to go. Um I got this I got this exact thing uh for ours at Christmas. Like it was on sale around the holidays. And so yeah. I uh I picked one up and it's nice. I mean, we've we take the Jackery camping and stuff and you can just have the solar panels like, you know, out and plug it in. What I love about the Jackery and other products like, like Anchor makes some and some others, like, like the golf cart's a great example. It's like I can have power someplace I normally don't have power or yeah. I can have fast power somewhere because on a bunch of them, um, you have, uh, you know, regular 110 volt, 300 watt outlets. And you have on some of them, like ours, we have a USB-C power delivery. So I have like 60 watt USB-C on this thing. Um it's just very handy to have that sort of power being uh, basically wherever you want. And like ours, I don't, I don't remember which Jackery we have, but um, it's about the size of a lunchbox. Now it's heavy because the thing's a battery, Yeah. but like it's pretty portable. And if you're going camping, you can just throw it in your car and have enough power to keep everyone's phones juiced up. It's it's I'm, I really like it. I really do. Yeah. And I, I had buyer's remorse a little bit after I purchased it because, uh, we just, you know, we're right now we've got, we're at a high expense time of our life with the kids in college and mm-hmm. all that. And I thought, well, do I really need it? And then like a friend of mine, who's a, a good, um, uh, she really works a lot with emergency service. She's like, are you kidding? I mean, 
don't you want to be able to charge your phone if you yeah. don't have power? Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was me being cheap really. And uh, so, yeah, I kept it and, and, and I'm happy to have it and I've got it, you know, they aren't that big, but they're big, you know, but you can store it. I stored it behind the iron giant in here and I can be outside and charging it in, in no time at all. Uh, I have one more thing I've been playing with. I thought, you know, since uh, we haven't done this for a while, I'm going to have two. Uh, Studio Neat makes an, a notebook. And I decided to do a little bit more hybrid journaling. I want to do some more stuff on paper. and I, But I didn't want to do it in a way that turned into like a thing where mm-hmm. I had to like, you know, buy every bespoke notebook and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I like the guys at Studio Neat. They always make good products. I have one of their, uh, actually a couple of their their pens and they're just great pens. I thought, well, yeah. let me try the tote book. So I got one of those and I liked it. So I bought several of them, several packs of them. And I just have a notebook for per month now. So, you know, it's like 80 pages and I, I'm usually within 80 pages of, with a month of journaling. And uh, I just think it's a nice product. And I know uh, those guys uh, are related to Relay. You know, they've got a podcast and uh but, the, you know, I don't know them that well, but I, I just think they make good stuff and I'm really happy with this purchase. Yeah. I'm actually on the latest episode of their podcast. <laughs> I'll put a link of that in the show notes. Oh, are you? Yeah. Huh. I, they do a series called The Last Detail where they talk to somebody about an object they really love. And uh, I chose the iMac G4 on brand. Well, what, what sold me on it is the... um that they've got little markings on the page. If you want to split it down the center or uh, vertically or horizontally, they've got that kind of pre-designated for you. Mm-hmm. And then like the last eight pages of the book are perforated. And like when I'm out talking to somebody and I might write down notes for them, I can just tear it out very easily. And I thought, what a great idea, you know? Yeah. So anyway, Studio Neat guys, they, they make good stuff. They do make good stuff. Agreed. We're the Mac Power users. Uh, we love doing these feedback episodes. If you have more feedback for us, you can put it on the forum if you want to go to talk.macpowerusers.com. Uh, if you go to relay.fm slash MPU, there's a form there too where you can get feedback to us. That's uh, the one we will definitely check, so we'd recommend that. Uh, thank you to our sponsors. That's our friends at Text Expander, TailScale, Clean My Mac, and Indeed. We'll see you next time.